I've noticed that in the, uh, in the times that I've been a part of the kingdom of God, which is majority, almost all of my life, I've noticed now that there's more of a spiritual hunger than I have seen in recent years. And sometimes that's manifested in pursuing after other things, but I've just noticed that there is, there is a spiritual hunger now. Maybe it's because of the circumstances, uncertainty, or whatever it may be. But because of that, there is a, there's a great, great number who are asking the questions, do I know that I have an authentic experience with God? Do I know that my walk with God is normal? Is, is, it, is it above? Is it below? Is it average? Is it somewhere in between? What, where is that? And so individuals start asking the question of where, what is, what does it look like, and what does it act like? And one reason for that is because I've, I've seen in the church that the way too many have, have been adhering to the code have been adhering to the, to the conduct, have been ad adhering to the culture, to the expectations of behavior, of those things, but they cannot speak of a real, deep, meaningful experience with God. They can't say that there is a, a personal encounter with God. What, what they can say is, yes, I have a belief system. Yes, I have a pattern. Yes, I have, I have a core values but as far as saying that I have a deep personal experience with God, I really can't say that. And what really brings confusion to the fact is that we have, uh, you know, books, popular Christian books. We have uh, these major TV personalities. We have, you know, these larger-than-life uh, individuals who, who talk about their relationship with God where they, every day they have these unbelievable experiences with God. They have... These, these profound revelations, they have all of this stuff, and we start thinking, where, where do I fall in the midst of this? What, what is that? And so what happens is we start trying to self-define. We try to start coming up with answers that are at least to make some, some sense out of the chaos. And, and one of the things that I have to say that I appreciate about Hope Crossing is that that you are given the opportunity not just to have uh, some sort of self-help talk, but you can have the core of you, the core of your, your being is being addressed in, in, in a spiritual way. So that way you will know what are the right disciplines. You will know what is the right responses. You will know what is those things so that you can have a deep spiritual encounter with God. Every, the praise and worship. All of the aspects of which that are done here, the discipleships, the time of prayer, you know what it's about? It's not about that we could have activities. It's about that we could have the opportunity to have a deep, meaningful experience with God. If there was a, a description of what I attempt to do, if there's, a, if there's some sort of acknowledgement of, hey, this is what I'm after, it's trying to help you to understand how the spiritual works. It's not just to make it something that's far and distant and hard, kind of like the way that I look at my computer, uh, is like, you know, okay, I, I just don't get it. I, like I've said before, my pattern with my computer is that if I have trouble with it, if I speak real loudly to the screen and pound the same key, it's supposed to work, you know? That's the way, that's the way I think. And, but I have a great friend of mine who is just phenomenal, and he... 
he just simply walks me through it and says, Mark, this is how. That's my intention. And today, I want to do that. I want to help you to understand how the spiritual work, to also to break off some false expectations that you might have, some preconceived ideas of how you think it's supposed to work, kind of like me and the computer. If I keep saying the same thing, well, maybe that's not right. And this passage of Scripture is one of which that we're going to talk about discouragement. How do we handle and what is the message of discouragement? I'm going to read from a different translation that Jamie did, and it goes like this. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A thorn in, of all the packages that you want, that's not one of them. It goes on to say, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, we don't use the word buffet very often, do we? I mean, it's not one of those things like I've been buffeted, you know? But to buffet means simply to torment, to, 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 to just harass. Basically, it means to take the wind out of yourself, to take the courage out of you. That's what it means to, to buffet there. To be exalted above measure, verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, here we go. Here's one that's kind of a little bit confusing. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength or my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Doesn't that seem like an oxymoron? Power and weaknesses? And then he goes, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Here it comes again, that the power of Christ. He says infirmities and the power of Christ at the same time. And we look at that and he gives, therefore I take pleasures in infirmities and approaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. And then he, here's the phrase that we all know, for when I am weak, therefore I'm strong. Whenever we, we see this and we, we understand that discouragement is that taking the wind out of ourselves, we, we probably all have some sort of real understanding of that. I love the story about the former heavyweight boxer by the name of Quick Tillis, James Quick Tillis. He was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he, uh, he tells the story how that whenever he got on the bus to go from Tulsa to Chicago, that's where he fought out of, that he got off the bus and he made his way to downtown and he made his way to the big old Sears Tower he said, I had my two cardboard suitcases and I put them down and I looked up to the top of Sears Tower and I said, I'm going to conquer Chicago. Then I looked down and both my suitcases were gone. You know, Isn't that the way life does us? Isn't that the way it happens? We, we think that we've got wind in our sails and we're moving forward and we're going good and then our suitcases get stolen. We have to do it. But all of us have discouragement, don't we? One commentator said, how you respond to discouragement is a great sign of maturity. He says that if you never have discouragement, if you're never discouraged, he says it's a sign of immaturity because you don't care. You don't care about people. You don't care about God's world. You don't care about those who are struggling and those who are having difficulties. He says it's a sign of immaturity and it's a sign that things are out of balance because you're never discouraged. He says, but on the other side of the coin, if you're always discouraged, if you're always downtrodden or, or you feel cast down, he says, that's also a sign of immaturity 
because it says that you're not having the wisdom to handle it. You're not having the knowledge and the, the aptitude of which that you can to respond to it properly. And so Paul says, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you an insight on how that you can handle the message of discouragement and what to do with it. And he begins by giving us a principle. Here's a principle that may not resonate with you, but I want you to get it because if you're going to walk with God, you got to get this one. And that is, in, in the Christian experience, strength and weaknesses always go together. In the walk with God, it's like taking two steps. Strength, weakness. Strength, weakness. And why is that? It's because God wants us to understand that even though that we have those experiences, they are not exclusive or adverse to one another. He says it's important that we understand that in those weaknesses, we become strong. And that's what I want to tell you about. And that is not only becoming strong, but in higher and higher levels of strength. So some of you are probably going, no, wait a minute. That's just, you're telling me two different things. You're speaking out two sides of your mouth. Weaknesses and strength. But you need to understand that power is not adverse to weakness. It's, it's, he says, I wouldn't have anything. I wouldn't have the courage that I have. I wouldn't have the, the, the strength that I have without understanding that I can have freedom from fear through the weaknesses that I experience. Wait, what, what, what does that mean? It means this. We in our human nature, our human nature have the ability to take anything of which that we do have confidence in ourselves or do take pride in, well, that's probably too big, that we think we have an ability in, and we have a tendency, and we have a, a capacity to make it a point of self-justification. What do I mean? I've got a good marriage. And in that good marriage, I know that I've got a good marriage. I look at others, and I know I've got a good marriage. And so what happens is in that, we start doing all sorts of things to protect that good marriage and to make sure that nothing happens to it because that's our point. That's our, that's our acknowledgement. So we worry about fear, we worry about uh, infidelity, we worry about jealousy, we start adding other things. What about your kids? My kids are doing well, they're doing great, I'm proud of my kids. And so suddenly, out of that fear that they would be your acknowledgement, you start saying, i got to protect them, they, they can't go too much, they, they, I worry about every second of them, they, they can't have certain friends because they might influence them wrongly. What about a job? Oh, I have a successful, I'm good at what I do. And so you start worrying, will I keep my job? Will, will they turn over? Will I have a, a, an injury? Will, and we start having fear. He says, through the weaknesses, through those weaknesses, that we are freed of that fear and that we have courage that that fear no longer dominates us and controls us and we're able to live as Christ teaches us in abundance. So what, what is the thorn? What is this thorn? He says, I had a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. It is absolutely brilliant. It is absolutely genius. It's inspired by God that he doesn't name the thorn. And the reason why he doesn't name the thorn is because we can all read ourselves into the thorn. We can all read ourselves into it. Some have speculated that Paul had uh, epilepsy or that he, he was going blind or he had poor eyesight. But the thing is, he never names it. You know, it could have been a physical. It could have been. could have been physical. 
just like us, that we might have struggles and, and, and difficulties with our, with our physical body and, and those kind of things, and, and that is easily a thorn. Or it might have been a spiritual thing. What if Paul had a besetting sin? What if he had a temptation that was stronger than, 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 than any of the others that for him to combat and to handle? What if he had, a, had an issue with, with rage? What if he had an issue with, with, with jealousy or lust? What if he had an issue with unforgiveness and bitterness? See, the point is, is that no matter what it is, we can read ourselves into that because in that point, in that acknowledgement, in that, okay, I don't have my act together and this is a struggle for me, we find that we call out to God. We call out to him just like Paul did and say, God, listen, (laughs) this ain't working. You know the saying that says change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than than the pain of change. The thing that I'm trying to say to you is that God's wanting to bring within your character, in your maturity, in your growth with him, and understand your walk with him. He's wanting you to have an understanding that there will be strengths and there will be weaknesses. And with those weaknesses, it will bring strengths. And with strengths, it will bring the acknowledgement of weaknesses. And he's just like Jesus had in him that balance. He was what? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain. He was the one victorious and mighty in battle who rode on lowly on a colt and don- of donkey. He says that we need to understand that God's wanting to bring within us the character of Christ, that we can have those attributes in us of confidence and humility, of power and weakness, of strength, but also dependence. The thing that I'm saying to you is that whenever we look at these things, that we don't look at those items as confidence in ourselves, but we look at God. Whenever we have confidence in ourselves, even, even though, that listen, we, we can do things, and we know we can, we have abilities, is our pattern, our human nature, is that we start saying, hey, you know what? This is a, this is, this is, this is a point of really that I do well. When individuals come to us and they're struggling, we have a tendency of self-righteousness to look down and say, hey, if you'll do what I say, if you'll do what I say, if you follow me, if you'll do it, then you won't have that problem. Or we look down at them and we say, How, what is the problem with them? Why don't they get their act together? My goodness. Man, burn me once, what? shame up, burn me twice, you know, that kind of thing. No, there won't be any humility because we will have a, a self-confidence. But what about the opposite side? What if we acknowledge that we don't, we don't have our act together? And we have flaws and we have difficulties and we, we have struggles. We'll be humble. We'll be understanding with those who struggle. We'll be compassionate to those who, who have just slammed into the side of the mountain. But what we won't have is faith and an exuberance, a burst of, of faith that says that God can do the miraculous We'll say, no, this is as good as it's going to get. You might as well just hang on. This is all there is. What God is wanting us to say is that he's not wanting us to be dependent upon ourselves. He's not wanting us to be condemning of ourselves. He's wanting us to understand that we are so radically loved because of what Christ has done for us, that he has done for us in spite of our flaws. We can live a life with understanding that we are radically 
radically loved in spite of who we are. That is a powerful thing. And we can worship God completely based upon, not on our record, not on our abilities, but upon what he has done. Not on our performance, not on our strengths, but on his performance on the cross of Calvary. Tim Keller tells the story of an episode of NCIS. I think you are familiar with that, aren't you? The, the television show, the military you know, crime thing where you find it out. It tells a scene of where there was a senior adult who was uh, accused of a, of, of a terrible crime. In the climactic, comes, com, com, climactic scene, well, that was hard for me to say. The scene came to it where this very arrogant, pushy Navy lawyer and two mammoth Marines who, you know, could take you out with a spoon kind of guys come to this senior adult. And they are going to arrest him. In the midst of that, they come with this, this, this fervency, this brutality. And they come to him and, and they grab him. And, and in the midst of all of that commotion, his shirt separates. And underneath the shirt, around his neck, is the Congressional Medal of Honor. An honor of which is the highest honor we give to our military for, for uh, conduct that is exemplary for all. In a previous battle that he had done and he had won. And those individuals who looked at him as nothing more than a piece of scum stopped, snapped to attention, gave him a salute because of that honor. That's the way God looks at you. You can say, I've got the flaws, I've got the weaknesses, I've got the inconsistencies, but because we have the blood of Christ upon us, because we have been redeemed and we have the mark of God upon us, he snaps, all heaven snaps to attention and says, that's my child right there. See, that's the thing. We can understand that we can be humbled by the gospel knowing that he died for you. But we can be emboldened by the gospel knowing that you are so valuable that he died for you. That's how we live. So here's my last point. How do we respond to the thorn? It says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He is basically saying in the verses before, that attached to every discouragement, there is a message. There is a message from God, and there is a message from Satan. And he says, how you will respond to discouragement is determined by what message you will listen to. So let me, first of all, talk about the message from Satan. Message from Satan is kind of like the, the illustration that probably uh, the, a lot of us... <laughs> I admit, me, a lot of us have done, and whenever we get this email uh, that says, congratulations, uh, you have won a prize, and our congratulations, a prince from Nigeria is giving you a million dollars, and all you got to do is, and you know, you, you have this message that comes, but attached to that message is a virus. And that virus is intended to corrupt your device so that it can access your finances and steal from you everything you've got. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to attach a message to the discouragement that would ravage you, that would, that would crush you. Let, let me illustrate. 
And I promise I'm not going to take much longer. You, you, you have an individual who, who you want to get married, and, and you, you've poured into that relationship, and you're wanting that relationship to go, and then suddenly there is a turn, and instead of moving forward to marriage, there's a rejection, there's a separation. That's a thorn. That's a thorn. But attached to that is a message of, I'm not pretty. I'm not lovable. I'm not desirable. I'm not the one that he wants. I'm not the one that she desires. I have, you see where I'm going? What about a business? You put your life into a business. You put your life into it, and you pour into that, and then suddenly it, it turns south. It's, it, in spite of all that you've done, it turns south. And what's the message that's attached to it? You're a failure. You're a loser. You're no good. You're less than. You see, that's the message. The message from in, of the enemy is not the thorn. It's not the discouragement. It's what you listen to that's attached to it. So he's saying to us that there is also a message from God. A message from God. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me go back. Here's the message from God. If you believe that your identity is found in what the opposite sex thinks of you, then you're going to be constantly bound and you're going to be constantly in fear of being rejected because that's your identity. But if you understand that the gospel has redeemed you and saved you and that you're a person who is so valuable that he was willing to die for you, then you can live in a freedom that you've never experienced before. A freedom that's not based upon the opposite sect, but it's based upon the truth of God's word. He says, I want to free you of that. I want to free you of that fear. I want to free you of the fact that that business is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. But if it comes or if it goes, it doesn't matter because you still have a message from God that wants to free you and bring power into your life. Instead of being fearful and dependent, you're independently powerful through Christ. That's the message. So let let me just put all this together. Whenever we understand that God wants you to live in abundance, it means that he will have us walk through times of weaknesses to, for the purpose of eliminating the fear that's attached to that so that you will live in a vitality in him that is never seen in your life before. But what about those thorns where I... Um, I just think it was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. One of the individuals who has greatly impacted my life is a pure old Puritan preacher years ago, Jonathan Edwards. He's a brilliant individual. He is a phenomenal theologian. Of our current times, he was in New England during the times of the Civil War, I mean the Revolutionary War. He had a number of things, but he, he wrote a, a, a number of small books. And one of the things that he addressed was the belief, the misbelief, that God is supposed to protect us from all evil things, all hurt, all pain. That God is supposed to protect us from that, that we're supposed to have this life. And if sad to say, if you follow some some national figures that they say, hey, if you do these three steps, then you're going to have it all together and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be driving a Rolls Royce and flying a Learjet. And Jonathan Edwards says, that's, that's just not right. 
He says what God promises and what the word promises is this, is that he will protect us from the evil of all things. Not from evil things, but from the evil of all things. He is saying that evil things will not have an evil effect on you. See the difference? We live in a fallen world. We live in the fact that people do drive drunk and they do run into us. There are economies that falter and our health, because we're human, our, our health is not necessarily perfect. We live in that world. He says, but even though those thorns may come, the evil that's attached to them will not have effect on you. So it goes like in Psalms chapter 3, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. For you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory in the one who lifts up my head. He basically says this, that I will be a shield from the evil that's wanting to devastate and absolutely crush you. He says, that is what I'll be a shield for. And sometimes that shield is from the worst of you and the worst of me. And God prevents things from happening or keeps items from being given to you or all those kind of things of which that in our foolishness we think that God owes us and he says, I shield that from you because I know that will bring out the worst in you instead of the best in you. And I shield you from that. And that's the goodness of God. He doesn't do it because he's somehow just, you know, having an irritable day and he's saying, okay, listen, yeah, no, I ain't dealing with that. He's saying, I know. And I'll shield you. I'll shield you from the evil that's intended for you and I'll shield you from the worst that could happen to you. So here's how I want to end this morning. And that I want to ask you just, uh, just basically two things. I'm not going to ask you to get from your seat as much as I just want you to be honest with yourself. And the very first one is this. Is that I want to ask you, have you accused God falsely? Have you accused God of whenever thorns have come into your life, that God, that you accused him of neglect or abuse or abandonment or not caring or not loving or not, 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 the list could go on. Have you falsely accused God in the midst of some struggles that you might be experiencing right now and that you've accused him of being less than who he is? The second one that I want to ask you is this is that whenever you honestly evaluate yourself and you look, are you listening to the message of Satan? Or are you listening to the message of God? The problem with asking yourself that is that we're really good at self-justification. We're really, really good at saying, yeah, but you got to understand. Yeah, but no, that's, or no. And that's whenever we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is, is to reveal to us that which we would have masked or closed or, or curtained off in our life. And that we give the Holy Spirit permission to assess, to evaluate, to open, to pull back that curtain, not in a way that which is humiliating and shameful and guilt-ridden, as much as just as a mom would want to teach a child how not to get hurt or how to navigate 
in a very loving and gentle way, so also the Holy Spirit does that. Reveal to me those places of which that I have listened more to the message of Satan than I have to the message of God. And that's the second thing. Are you willing to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do that in your life? Are you willing to say, come and do that? Here's my two. You ready? Have you accused God falsely? And have you given the Holy Spirit opportunity to unveil? So that's what we're going to do now. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, not for the purpose of anything other than I would like for you to be focused. And I'd like for you to have the opportunity to pray in a way that you are comfortable with, that you need to be honest and say, Lord, I've accused you of things that have happened in my life, and I've accused you falsely. And I just want to ask you to forgive me for that. And secondly, Holy Spirit, I need you to open my eyes to areas of which that I have entertained discouragement, and I've entertained the message of the enemy in ways of which that should not be. And it has encapsulated me instead of having freedom and power. Are you ready? Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray now for the people of God, your children. These are your servants. These are the ones that you found so valuable you're willing to die for them. These are individuals that you find so, of such importance that you're willing, you're willing to do all for them. I pray now that, first of all, for those who can be honest and say, I've accused God falsely. I've accused him of, of being negligent, being abusive, of being forgetful of where I'm at, of being uncaring, of unresponsive, of being abandoned me in my time of need. And I pray, Father, that they will be honest with you and just simply say, forgive me, Lord, for my false accusation. And secondly, I pray, Father, for the people of God, that they will give, Holy Spirit, you the opportunity to pull back the curtain, to unveil those places in our lives of which that we have entertained the message of the enemy more than we have the message of God. Holy Spirit, you are one who wants to show us a better way a way that we live in abundance, a way we live in power of Christ, the way we do not live in fear or in bondage, but we live in freedom. Holy Spirit, now come and just show us, reveal to us, so that we will live in the plan, in the plan that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.